Well, it's another awesome Friday here in Boston, and that means it's time for the Marketing Agility Podcast. Roland, how are things? Things are good. Looking forward to talking with Yasha Kaikas Wolf today. I was looking back through the podcast archives. Both Roland and I listened to one. I think it was like a third or fourth podcast we ever did in December of 2010. Can you believe that? That was a while ago, and he is still doing Agile. Wow. Uh, it's pretty pretty cool. Actually, these days he's uh, the CMO over, over at Mozilla. He's also written a book about Agile, like me, and it's called Growing Up Fast. It's a, it's a great piece, and we can touch on that today. And I, of course, had the pleasure of working with Yasha when I was at Involver. So looking forward to catching up with him as well. Well, let's dial him in. Hey, Yasha, you there? Nice to hear from you both. Yeah, so I was just uh, recounting the fact that you have written a book on Agile, that we work together and you're probably one of the earliest adopters of Agile that has been on the show. Is that right, Frank? You were interview number three or number four. I should know the answer to that. I think what you're really saying, Roland, is that we're all just getting old. That is true. <laughs> that is. All right. Well, let me kick us off then with the question. I'll start us off on, on a note going back to that. It was more than five years ago. So, of course, I have to ask you. I went back and listened to, to the, your original interview. I wanted to kind of see if you could highlight some of the sort of big changes that you've seen in the Agile marketing world since then. I actually think it's just one, and it's pretty substantive, and I think there's more buy-in. Right? It is that there's more buy-in for the idea of the system working instead of marketing. And, and from that, we've seen the spawn of agencies that actually support onboarding, organizations that are marketing behind the idea for it. That one big change is that there is some acceptance or buy-in that this is a thing. It's not just a, a lark. It's not a handful of folks that are hoping that this becomes something or, or kind of experimenting off into the wild. It is a thing now that has some adoption and is kind of more recognized. Uh, I, I think it's kind of exciting, probably a little bit frustrating as well as it being exciting, frustrating in that some of the things that the three of us talked about a few years ago are starting to show up, and that's that the processes in Agile are really intended to be a playbook that's adjusted. And and as you start to see some kind of formation of organizations and marketing behind the idea of Agile, there's becoming the same types of dogmas that exist in the development world. Like this is the way that you have to do it. These are the tools that you have to use. This is the process that you have to follow. And it just isn't that way, right? Like this is a great playbook for us to adjust based on the needs of our organization. And it is not a dogmatic process that we have to follow. It's not process for process sake. So, so that's the, the downside of there being some adoption. But that's the big change in my mind that we're seeing a lot more recognition that this is an actual system that people are going to be using and are using. As we get the recognition from executives, they start to think about, I remember the cliches we talked about way back in 2010 about failure and failing fast. Those are all the cliches. I was just on a call with someone about two hours ago and he actually used those exact words. And I thought, wow, the cliches never change, but the times do, <laughs> the times do change. I mean, how do you see the tolerance for failure changing among the organizations that you've been involved with over the of this past few years? I'm not convinced that there's any significant change in kind of organizational acceptance of failure. And it's in kind of the world of serendipity um, happened to from a friend today get shared, um, I think a post from Seth Godin yesterday. And Seth Godin's post yesterday was talking about the bureaucracy and status quo that exists in organizations. And it, like the status quo and bureaucracy exist in most organizations, in large part, it's the thing that we think we have to break, and it's the thing that we think is stopping us from failing. And it's really about process for process sake. And and what Seth Godin highlights, which I think is pretty fascinating, and I've been thinking about a lot uh, yesterday and today, is that 
you know, bureaucracy and the, the fear of failure attached to bureaucracy are defense mechanisms. And they're defense mechanisms, not just for each of us individually, kind of emotionally, but they're defense mechanisms for the success that an organization has seen, right? Like they, they kind of become the callus that exists around something that has worked well. And and I think that's still something that we we deal with. I, I'm actually not convinced now. You know, a few years later, after having a chance to uh, have some stuff going by in between and have this chance to reconnect with the two of you, I'm still not convinced that organizations um, are able to really accept this idea of failing fast and moving on. We we share the cliches, but we really deal with this kind of guttural organizational challenge, which is when a success happens, the bureaucracy builds itself around it, really to protect it, to allow success to happen mm-hmm. over and over again. And and that challenge to that status quo is the thing that we've got to address. And, and I, I, I believe the Agile system does that. It helps us challenge the status quo. Um, but I don't think that organizational acceptance of failure has really changed dramatically in the course of the last five years. Interesting. So another idea that you you touched on was this idea that when you embrace Agile as a distinct difference from Waterfall, there's this pressure to kind of always be communicating rather than with Waterfall sort of communicating what you're going to do at the beginning and then your success at the end. So is the statement that you just made, does it does it reflect kind of a, a different view of what it takes to be successful with Agile? Because if, if you're not seeing the acceptance or tolerance of failure increasing, does that, does that mean you're also sort of saying, well, maybe it's still just as hard as it always was to get the culture to embrace Agile? I think the the second part is really accurate. Like, and this is um, just us kind of spitballing three friends that we've known for a while. I, like, the the reality is that organizations are a collection of people, and those emotional challenges that we deal with are probably going to persist forever. So, our job and the roles that we are in is to help find systems that help kind of counterbalance the natural uh, organizational path, which is to create bureaucracy and protect the things that work well. I guess my comment overall is that I just don't think that that guttural kind of reaction in an organization has changed in the last five years. But I, I see the necessity of the agile system um, and its kind of counterbalance to this idea of bureaucracy really, really, really being helpful. I, I see that all the time here at Mozilla, which I joined about a year and a quarter ago, and we've rolled out an agile system, a lean system to our full organization. We're about 120 or so marketing folks. And it is a system where we can communicate priorities very well. Um, we understand if things are working or not, and they're are not a lot of precious processes around that, but it's taken us a year and a quarter to get to the point where we can kind of deal with the fact that bureaucracy has existed and the system exists to help separate ourselves from the bureaucracy. And, and it it's a constantly kind of evolving thing. I suppose this is uh, uh, inadvertently becoming more philosophical than it is practical, but we can, we can bring it back into the practical realm. That's okay. We're playing pundits for you know the 20 minutes we'll be on the podcast today. So it's okay if we share some of the deep thoughts and I guess we get more of our, we think more and more about things that we learn along the way. Roland and I have had a number of guests on lately and they've been we've talked a little bit about adoption, like how it kind of comes into an organization. And one of the things that I get the benefit of being the VP and being in charge is I can kind of impose my will on the team and say, or part of my pitch to any given job or any given executive I come into is, hey, Agile's part of my it's part of my story, you know, it's part of my yeah. personal value proposition. But one of the things we're seeing a lot of is that it's not always perfect if you're not, you know, Roland, you have your, you know, challenges at, at Oracle and trying to do your thing in a sometimes waterfall world. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. we've talked to some guests who are trying it from either at a project level, a departmental level on a big 
company world. What's, I guess, at the end of the question I'm trying to ask is how do you see agile adoption and the way people are trying to bring it into their organizations evolving now from back from when it was, you know, science fair project, maybe five or six or yeah. no, a novelty five or six or eight years ago to now where people are really trying to make it work? Without kind of revealing the names of some of these companies that have interacted with over the course of the last year, I, I've actually seen adoption of agile marketing practices rolled out in large departments without really executive buy-in. So let's call it CMO level and, and CEO level aren't really aware that this is a process being used until it's actually in practice. I've seen this at you know, multiple thousand person companies happen. I see small teams um, adopting this process and it's just kind of a comfortable way to work and it works really well in startups. And And I've had the experience now in two different organizations in the last five years to roll out these processes myself. And I, I want to pause and talk about each of those and, and the distinction between the two of them because I, I think my experience at Mozilla is one that will probably resonate a bit more um, because of the way that we are so constructively thoughtful about any kind of process or, or organizational change. I joined BitTorrent like three years ago in that ballpark and we were a smallish marketing team. We we're about 35 people or so. And and it was very kind of uh, directorial, dictatorial. We said, this is, I said, this is part of the process that I, I'd like to bring here. So if I join, that's something that we're going to do. And, and uh, it was just accepted. And when I started, we organized the team in a way that we were able to roll it out. And and we actually we had pretty good adoption for it, but the the incentive system that I worked with at BitTorrent um, looked very distinct, right? Like I said to the organization, this is the process that we're going to use. Here's the benefits for this process that we're going to use. Here's how it's going to individually impact you in a positive way. Here's how it's going to make you more marketable over time and help you be more successful now. But at the end of the day, bonuses, uh, kind of objectives on a quarterly basis were all tied to our ability to use the system. So to, it worked and it worked fine and it actually worked pretty well. And we had some interesting explorations around developing a creative studio and having a creative studio interface with scrum teams and um, kind of uh, a, some new learnings for me on the importance of POs as a dedicated function as opposed to a combination of the PO and the, and the scrum master, um, which I'd experimented with for a couple of years. Um, to, to In a mid-sized organization, able to come in and and basically say, let's get it to work. And it worked. And it worked because the system works, but it also worked because the incentives that I had to ask people to do this were incredibly explicit. I joined Mozilla a year and a quarter ago. And for kind of listeners that don't know much about Mozilla, we've been around for greater than a decade. It, it was the kind of an, the original Rebel Rouser organization on the internet. They created a, a product called Firefox, which still exists today, that like absolute honest truth allowed for innovation to exist on the internet because they opened up the ability for other organizations, other companies to create technologies that were not built on Microsoft stack, right? Like they, they mm -hmm. the impact that this company had way before I got here was massive. But on top of that, they did that in a very principled way uh, behind an open source project. And open source has a, a series of principles, right, of which transparency is one of them. And um, when you choose to work for a not-for-profit like we are Mozilla and in an open source environment like that that we operate, um, your decision to be here is less about the incentives, what kind of what you get paid, and more about the motivation of what you're working on. And so when we when I joined here a year and a quarter ago, I, even though it's a part of who I am bringing the system into organizations – there wasn't going to be a, this is what we're going to do and you have to do and there is no choice but to do it. Uh, so the the kind of elongated process up front that we went through as a team was really deconstructing our process, really deconstructing how each person fit into the organization, how they're contributing 
really understanding each person's emotional wants and then tuning the system in a way that was mutually beneficial, both for the work that we were doing, the impact that we're trying to have and for the person that was actually working on it. So the like the motivation in working in the system exists here. It's not just an incented system to work in. And I found that the quickness to evolve the process, the quickness to work in the process once you have kind of emotional buy-in is so much greater than in any other experience I've had. And that's a, it's a, a pretty fascinating learning for me over the course of the last year and a quarter. You know, as somebody who's pretty focused on community marketing these days, I can definitely relate to working in an environment where even if you have what you think is the best answer, you really just can't impose it on the team. Like they've got to have ownership in it. They've got to have a significant stake in it and they are going to shape it. Yeah. I mean, what, what you've learned in community management over the course of the last few years and, and what I feel like I've learned over the last year and a quarter, like I, I mean, the conversations you and I have had feels like you are in a spot where you really do well because the environment that you exist in and how you work with the community, like I, I feel like I finally found the place that is the perfect fit for me. And I, I actually think the processes that I kind of was uh, unaware of and even a little bit hesitant to get into now have made me better in my role in the management roles. And I don't know that I would ever do anything differently if I ever go anywhere other than Mozilla. Like it, I just think this is the right mm-hmm. way to do it. Yeah, it's good. It's also good to hear for us, I think, to hear a story of um, a situation where you've been able to you know, work with an existing culture, not necessarily have to have out of the gate the the top-down buy-in or maybe just involvement, because a lot of the stories that we are hearing still include entrepreneurial marketers inside of a company, implement Agile. Yeah. There's a cohort of people inside the company who might be doing that, but if they don't have that executive oversight, like they leave or one of those people leaves the company and their group, yeah, exactly, falls back on waterfall. So where do you go from here? I mean, let's think about the other side of it. I mean, I know you can adapt your culture, you can adapt your organization. What about the ones that don't fit? The square pegs and the round holes, the the people who, the spreadsheet cling huggers, I guess is maybe a way to describe it. You know, we had an early guest on the podcast who's from a bank in Tennessee, and he was talking about how you know Agile was his talent management tool because the people who, he discovered that the weakest members of his team really were the ones who clung the strongest to waterfall. People management, performance management, maybe all uh, kind of different ways to say, like, as a manager of an organization, you have to care about the health of everybody in your team. And the health of everybody in your team means there needs to be a kind of output that has impact that supports whatever the objectives are that you have. And, and the flip side of that, as an organization, you have to be contributing to kind of their well-being and their betterment as kind of marketers in our case. They need to get better. Um, what, what I was actually very surprised of, and I hadn't seen this dynamic before, is that uh, in an organization that's of any size, right, and we're a decent size, we're not gigantic by any stretch, but you know, 100, 100 marketers, in a decent size organization, um, getting peer feedback is actually really difficult. Not that it's hard to get feedback from a peer, but being in an environment where peer, peer feedback exists, it's not super common. And it becomes a construct that's thrown on you from HR teams sometimes, not to uh, disparage HR teams. This system has allowed for us to create an environment where the peers in the teams that are working together, and we call them the durable teams, um, they're actually able to interact with each other and provide each other peer feedback. And that peer feedback has been a driver for change that's happened in our organization more so than anything that's you know, me or anybody else in management searching out those that kind of don't want to be here or don't belong here or aren't performing in here. Um, there's, there's a very kind of healthy, the teams thinking about how it can be most impactful and peer discussion that drives change if somebody decides that it's not the right place for them. Um, what I 
I'm very fortunate about and something that I will forever be grateful being a part of Mozilla is that we default first to taking care of people, right? People ultimately are those that help us do everything that we're trying to do professionally, product company, technology company, et cetera. And then we um, really go above and beyond, which should be just the way that it happens in every organization. But we go above and beyond to make sure that we're really trying to take care of everybody that's a part of this organization because they're they're dedicating their time and their energy. And so, so if somebody identifies, self-identifies as I'm not comfortable, this process just isn't working for me, um, and this hasn't been many people in the organization, we get to work with them to help find them a home. So I can insert a snarky comment about uh, oh, you open source zealots, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm in an open source company at the moment now. So occasionally I, my colleagues and I chuckle at rose-colored glasses, this foggy, you know, this really idealistic view of what happens in the open source world versus the yeah. reality of actually having a business. I guess you guys are a not-for-profit, so you can get on that road. There's, yeah. this, there's this funny world of community, community open source, where people believe, you know, it's uh, the old adage about communism is you can take away the idea of class and privilege, but you can, we're human beings and you can never actually take that away. I have learned so much in my last year and a quarter, and it's benefited me personally, but I think it's benefited the system that we use, this the, the, lean, the agile system that we use. In large part because we have such a human approach to it. And it isn't about communism. It isn't about, you know, the, the it isn't about equality kind of across the board. Um, not that those are bad ideas. It is just about being conscientious of and empathetic to people. Mm-hmm. And when you are that way and, and when you try and do that um, well with your team, it is amazing the results that happen. Systems like agile systems get adopted better, faster. They become more effective quickly. I, like I will never go back to not having this view. And I thought that I was a lean in on that direction anyway, is really caring about people and thinking about their growth. I just didn't understand how much I needed to be. So let me ask you a question that's maybe a little bit more in the weeds. You talked about um, providing feedback to people that are on teams and maybe even whole teams. Is that something that you embed into your retrospective? practice? Um, we do. We actually do it in a series of different ways. So in the retrospective process, absolutely. Um, and then we do a kind of a proactive poll where we look for the POs to help us collect uh, information about uh, peer feedback. And that's out of band from from the retrospectives. So that, okay. that kind of push and pull for us is a pretty nice system. Seems to work pretty well. And can you share a little bit more information about if you have a method that you would say you, you could describe? Is it more on the Kanban side, more on the Scrum side? Can you share a little um, bit of that? Yeah, so uh, we have uh, two types of teams within the organization. Um, one team is basically running in a uh, modified Scrum version. And I say one team, in our case, we've got five teams that run, we call them the durable teams, um, and they run in a Scrum format. Uh, They're right now on a week and a half long sprint. So we plan a week and a half long sprint, and then we do a two-day break or three-day break. And over that three-day break, we do effectively a retrospective, a planning and acceptance day, and then a re-verification of kind of resource allocation on the the third day. So that's a fairly similar system to one that um, you and I were introduced to uh, when we worked together and, and that I've been using over the past few years. That seems to work really well. Um, for our functional teams, so this is uh, the group of people who are not assigned into a durable team. And those durable teams typically have an assignment over at least six months. If you're in a functional team, we default to Kanban. Like the supporting tools mm-hmm. for us is that we use Trello for our functional teams that do Kanban work, and we use Taiga for our durable teams because it works really well in the user story formats. Wow, that's a lot of stuff to absorb all at once. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just spit that out in a, in a couple of seconds, but uh, it's taken us about a uh, seven months of practice to get to a system that's working pretty well. 
Well, I was just trying to think in terms of, I think it's the first time we've had anyone on the podcast who kind of positioned Agile and their marketing team as a performance management slash organizational behavior management tool. Maximize performance. I guess in the end of the day, what we're trying to do is make sure that everyone on the team has the greatest chance of success, which ultimately drives closer alignment with customer needs and greater success in the marketplace. Absolutely. I always go back to the two things that I think we have to solve for, no matter what industry we're in, if we're in marketing. Um, the first is that marketing teams generally do a pretty poor job of prioritizing and sharing transparently what they're working on. And of course, there's irony in that being that communications is one of the functions we're supposed to be good at, but you do a poor job of it. Right? And, yeah. and the agile system helps us there. It's embedded in it is the ability to transparently expose what priorities are. On the flip side, I think that, uh, not flip side, the kind of the other piece here is that I think most marketing teams do a pretty poor job of being able to forecast how much time it takes to get something done. And yeah. again, the agile system helps train that as a skill, which mm -hmm. doesn't really exist in, in most marketers. And so you take those two things together and at the end of the day, yeah, you become more performant and that's really critical because being performant means that you have greater impact. And if your impact is pushing forward the Mozilla mission, which is to maintain an open internet, um, Awesome. If it helps you drive more inbound leads, awesome. But being performant, having big impact for your organization is what we have to do in marketing. Awesome. Well, Yasha, unfortunately, we kind of bumped up against it on time. Before we blinked our eyes and there was 23 minutes gone, that was pretty amazing. We'll have to have you back on again. We're in this mode. If we had Jim Ewell on for twice in the last couple of months, maybe we can get you oh, on nice. again in a few months and we can talk about some other things that are happening in all of our lives. Well, just uh, some more information for our listeners. Again, you can find us on iTunes at Marketing Agility Podcast. You can download it to your thing. Another cool thing this week, we are now on SoundCloud. Can you believe that, Roland? It's about time. I know. It's what about time. What are they doing? You know, the challenge with SoundCloud is you have to put it up there manually and that always ends up being one more thing. But it was actually a lot easier than I thought. Roland had encouraged me to look into it and I looked into it and I popped it up there. I don't know if our audience <laughs> is finding us there, but you know, the more channels, the merrier, I guess, in all of this. Um, our 40th podcast, this is our 41st podcast, so we're still moving forward with interviews. If you have a story to tell, if you really want to share what's going on in your life, you're trying to make Agile work, regardless of where you are, reach out to Roland at rsmartly on Twitter or myself at Tangy Slice, the gangster rapper turned marketing VP. We are both on the Twitters. You can also catch us on LinkedIn and other channels out there. Thanks again, Roland, for joining us. Thanks again, Yasha. And please, everyone, stay agile. <laughs>